You're listening to Treasuring Scripture, a podcast of the weekly teaching ministry of Lebanon Baptist Church, Roswell, Georgia. To learn more about our ministry, please visit us at LebanonBaptist.org. You know, the theme of our program today was, Let Us Adore Him. Of course, a baby had arrived in Bethlehem, and we're invited to come and adore him. Now, We've welcomed at our church a number of babies this year, and Mark was even referencing one just a few moments ago. And we often say when we see a new baby that they are adorable. Is that all that is meant here? Come, let us adore him. Oh, look at the little baby Jesus. He is adorable. Is that what is simply meant by let us come adore him. Well, we know that even that term adorable or adore, adoration has levels of meaning. And here it's much deeper, much more significant than just something being adorable. Here it is worship. Our babies that we have aren't to be worshiped, but this one? The one that we have just sang about and rejoiced in, he deserves all of our praise for all of eternity. Why? Because he was God's rescue plan for the ages. He was God's plan to bring about the redemption of humanity. That's what we call the gospel. You just heard rehearsed to you over the last number of minutes in song, the gospel how you and I can escape our sin, how we can escape death, and how we can find meaningful and everlasting life. You know, as a church, if you're visiting today, our church has been studying a letter in the New Testament called the Letter to the Romans. It's a letter really telling us of this great gospel story and how this Gospel is the most powerful thing that this world has ever seen. It gives life to dead men. We have come as a church to Romans chapter 8, right in the middle of the book. We've learned up to this point that for you to be saved, salvation is by grace. It's unmerited. It's by grace. Through faith... In Jesus Christ alone. And those of us who have become children of God by faith have been given some incredible gifts. And we have begun to just unpack them over the last number of weeks. But we also learned that even, even though we have all these gifts, there is just a short season that you and I are in the midst of right now of suffering. But we know that our suffering of the present time is not worth to be compared even to the glory that will be revealed in us. You know, at this time of year when we think about gifts, it's easy for us to see other people getting gifts and then maybe comparing them with the gifts that we have and like, ah, I don't got a whole lot. Maybe that good friend of yours gets that F-150 truck, brand spanking new. And you just get jumper cables <laughs> to get yours going. 
Maybe your friend gets a new MacBook Pro and you open a dot journal, just little journal to just write notes in. Maybe some of your newlywed friends, their parents give them a gift of a down payment to put on a new house. And you get dishcloths, okay? Like, what? But let me tell you, if you here are a child of God, you have received the most enormous and extravagant gift that you could ever imagine. Paul has recounted to us in this book up to this point what God has provided for you. Not simply physical things. Now, physical things are coming. They are yet to be revealed. They're true. But he has been unveiling to us spiritual realities that all of God's children have once they come to know Christ as their Savior. And one of them is the security of your salvation. He who started your salvation in eternity past is going to complete your salvation. Your salvation, as we learned last week, is in the hands of a sovereign God. Paul now has come, really, to one of the summits of this book. We have arrived at a verse this morning that I believe is absolutely packed with power. When I was a kid, I loved fireworks, okay? Grew up in Miami, and, uh, but when we moved to South Carolina, of course, South Carolina let you do everything when it came to fireworks, the top firepower as a kid when it came to fireworks was a cherry bomb. But one day, we were with some friends, and someone pulled out a quarter stick of dynamite. And they put it on a fence post and lit it up. And I'm telling you, that fence post, boom, just a quarter stick of dynamite. Today, I am about to have you look at a verse that blows everything away. When you and if you will grab a hold of the power of this verse, it can power your Christian life all the way to heaven. Talk about power, this verse has it. Let me set it up. I'm going to read verse 31, but then I'm going to come to verse 32. Listen to what it says. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And then our text this morning, he who did not spare his only son, but gave him up for us all, How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? This verse is divided into two statements. A statement and then a rhetorical question. It's beautifully set up. Both sides have, there's two knots. 
One in the first part, one in the second part. There's two references to Jesus. One in the first part, one in the second part. There's two references to give. It's just perfectly parallel. Given the first, given the second. There's two alls. There's an all at the beginning. There's an all in the second part. Two us's. One at the beginning, one at the end. And in this verse, we unpack this glorious truth. Child of God, the ultimate giver will take care of everything for you. The ultimate giver will take care of everything for you. This is something, if you are a child of God, I mean, this is a well that you could never plumb. In this short verse, Paul lays out for us simple logic. Okay, many of you like logic. Well, what, what he's doing here is he's just giving some logic. And what he does is he argues from the greater to the lesser. Give you a few ways to look at this. Okay, if I could go to Lucky's Burgers and eat a four-pound Grim Reaper burger with eight slices of cheese, 12 pieces of bacon, and seven fried eggs, if I could down that, the greater, I can eat a slider. If I could cut down a giant redwood in the middle of the forest of Sequoia, the Sequoias and the redwoods are there, if I was to cut one down, I, if I could cut one of those down, I could cut some privet down in your backyard. If I could cure cancer, and I had the ability to cure cancer in every single person, you know what I could do? I could bandage a bruise, couldn't I? If I could pay off your college tuition, I can buy you some bubble gum in the bubble gum machine after church. What this verse does is this. If God has done the first part, he can certainly do the lesser. The promise in this text is literally astounding. And as I, I think I've begun to scratch the surface of it, it has become one of my constant companions. And I'm going to invite you to allow this verse to be a constant companion to you. Look at these two statements. Let's look at them. First of all, the statement, then the question. We're going to look at the statement. And in this statement, what he's telling you to do is this. Remember God's extravagant gift. This is what the verse says. He who did not spare his only son, but gave him up for us all. Now, who's he talking about? Well, he, no doubt, is talking about God the Father. You know the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. This isn't zeroing in on the Father. This verse tells us something that he didn't do and then what he did do. He didn't spare his own son. And this speaks of God the Father in eternity past sending Jesus, God the Son, to earth in the incarnation, but specifically, it's referring to sending him to the cross. And I'll tell you this, the cross was no afterthought of Jesus, 
or of the father. It was no surprise to him that that happened. It was ultimately God's eternal plan. And the father did it willingly and purposefully. In fact, in in Galatians 4 verse 4, it says this, but in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. In fact, when Jesus stood before Pilate and he was about to be thrown to the cross and Pilate probably thought he had all the power and he didn't have power because how did Jesus respond to him? In John chapter 19 verse 11, Jesus answered to him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it has been given you from above. My father gave it to you. Therefore, he who's delivered me over to you has the greater sin. The father planned in eternity past to not spare his own son. In fact, that that idea of sparing your own son, Paul uses language, the same type of language that Moses used in the Old Testament. Many of you know at Jesus' day, they had a Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. It was called the Septuagint. And so it was written in Greek. And so when Paul, who wrote his books in Greek, was selecting a word to refer to what Jesus did when it says he spared not, he chose from the Greek language the word that was used to translate the Hebrew word in the story of Abraham and Isaac and how God had come to Abraham and commanded Abraham to take his son Isaac to a mount that he would show him. And of course, it was to test him. What I believe is that mount was none other than the temple mount, Mount Moriah. And of course, you know the story how Abraham led Isaac up to it and he was at the the point where he was about to thrust the knife into him. And God stopped him and he affirmed Abraham and it says, you did not withhold your only son. Paul says this, God the father did not withhold his son. In fact, he told Abraham, I will provide a lamb. 2,000 years later, he did provide that lamb in his own son who also died at the corner of Mount Moriah on Golgotha. God himself didn't withhold his own son. Now, Jesus wasn't simply, you could say, a son of God like you and me, because the Bible does talk about us being children of God and sons of God. He was God's unique son. In fact, he was none other than the Holy One as John 1 says, or excuse me, the everlasting one. In the beginning was the word. He was in the beginning. And the word was with God. You know who Jesus was? He was not only the eternal one, he was the other one within the Trinity. And he was the divine one. He was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and for him. And what did the father do? He did not withhold him, but literally the text says that he gave him up. That means this, he handed him over for 
us. Yes, of course, you read the Bible and it says that Judas handed him over. It says that Pilate handed him over. We handed him over. Of course, the Bible does affirm that Jesus handed himself over because it says in John 6, verse 38, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus was was handing himself over. Of course, it says in Hebrews 10, verse 5 through 7, Jesus is saying about himself, consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I, co- I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. And Jesus handed himself over. But before all of this, the Bible says this, that God the Father did not spare his only son, but he handed him over for us. That for us speaks of Jesus's substitutionary atonement. He did it on behalf of us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Us. Now, who is he talking about there? This speaks of God's children. Paul is including himself there with the, the Romans. Now, the world has seen a lot of great gifts. I mean, our United States received the Statue of Liberty as a, an incredible, colossal gift. You've heard of Fabergé eggs given to newborn babies as gifts, or the Taj Mahal given as a gift. But nothing even comes close to God the Father giving God the Son. Imagine all of eternity past, which you can't imagine, so try. Uh, The Father and the Son in perfect relationship. And then the Father offering his Son. John Piper asked this question. What was the greatest obstacle in your salvation? Think about this for a second. What was the greatest obstacle for you to get, for you to be redeemed and be saved? I I posed that question to my family last night. We were kind of doing an Advent reading. You know what we normally go to? It's this. Okay, the greatest obstacle was my sin. Or the judgment, the judgment that was on me, the condemnation that the, the, the world was affecting, or the, the wrath of God, and we, we go there. And those are good reasons, but they're not the ultimate reason. I mean, the ultimate, ultimate obstacle. What was the ultimate obstacle? Really, it was this. God's love for his son. God loved his son infinitely. In fact, 
he said on two different occasions, this is my what son? My beloved son in whom I am well pleased. If you were going to get saved, the biggest obstacle was the father's love for his son. But the text says that he did not spare his only son, but he gave him up for you. Humans, you know, we have a lot of love. I learn more and more of the capacity of human love the longer I live. I've, I've told you before, after we had our first child, Anna, I, I loved her so much. And then when we found out we were having another child and we were going to have a boy, I've told you that I really was bothered by it because I didn't think I could love a boy as much as I loved a girl. And, I, and honestly, I was really worried about this. And then when he was born, guess what? It's all there. I mean, I love them just as much. And if humans have that type of capacity to love, think about God's love for his son. He did not spare his only son, but he gave him up for you. Let that sit on you this holiday season. You need to meditate that God the Father did not spare his own son, but he delivered him up for you. It, are, it is those facts from the past that will light your way in the present. God calls us to remember what he has done for us. The Bible rehearses that. And you have to, on a daily basis, rehearse what God has done for you. I'm crucified with Christ. Too many of us look at the truths of the gospel a lot like the law of aerodynamics when it comes to a plane. Most of us, we don't think anything about the laws of aerodynamics when we jump on a plane. We just get on it and we just like, oh, it's going to get me there, such and such. And a lot of times, this is what we do. We think of our salvation Oh, yeah, I asked Jesus Christ to save me, and I'm just going to keep going. And we are just so arrogant. And what God wants us to do every once in a while is to sit back and think what he did for you. He who did not spare his only son, but he gave him up for you. We've got to meditate on those truths this leads us to the rhetorical question, the question. And what's this? You and I, if he did that, the greater, we can rest in God's loving provision. We can rest in it. Paul now asks this rhetorical question, and really the answer is obvious. He who did not spare his only son but gave him up for you, how shall he not? With him, freely give us all things. The answer is obvious. He'll give us all things. I want you to notice three aspects of that second part of the verse, that question. If God gave us his son, will he not, he uses the word freely give. It's an unusual word. In fact, 
it's not just give, which is the word oftentimes people use. It's freely give. In fact, if you were to look at it in the Greek language, it's really one word, but it has kind of a prefix at the beginning of it, and it's the Greek word charis. And those of you who know that, it, that even name, it means grace. He gracefully gave. It is God's gracious giving. The word is used in other places, like in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we may understand the things, here it is, freely given to us, gracefully given to us by God. Let me just say, if God didn't spare Jesus, will he not graciously give you And I want you to notice this, with him. It's almost like he wants to remind us again, you already got him. You got him in your knapsack. You got him in your life. You got him in your heart. He's not going anywhere. If he has given you his son, how will he not freely, with him, because you got him. And then it says this, how will he not freely give you all things. You know, all things has been used repeatedly in this context. Remember back in verse 28? And we know that all things work together for good. Later on in verse 37, it says, I'll read it to you. Verse 37 says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You know what a lot of people do? They, they restrict this. They say, God will give us all things in the future. It's that mansion in heaven. It's that new body. Will he not freely give me all things in the future? And let me just say, that I believe is dead wrong. He will give you all those things, but I believe he will give you all things that you need right now. Everything you need. If he gave you his son, shall he not freely give you everything you need in this life? This is not health wealth gospel. This is everything you need. In fact, Paul tells the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 21 through 28, he says this, so let us not boast in men, because that's what the Corinthians were doing. There was a lot of disunity, and he was just reminding them, let us not boast in men, for all things are what? Yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours, and you are Christ, and Christ is God. In fact, he says this, you own everything. In fact, I love this, I own death. Over the last number of weeks, I've had to deal and be confronted with death. But guess what? I can know this. I have all things in Christ, and I own it. I Thanks be to God, which gives me the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. If God did not spare his only son, shall he not freely give me everything I need in this life? all that's needed. This is the totality of what his people need in order to be established and to persevere in the faith. 
He is sovereign. He has gifted me everything. I love the word says in 2 Peter, his divine power has given me all things that pertain to life and godliness. So way to illustrate is this. Let's say that you came to me and says, Pastor Brian, I got this great need. I'm going to need you to do something for me. I'm going to need you to give me Jen, Anna, Will, and Jacob, your foremost precious possessions. I need you to give me them for this great cause. Let's say that I do it. And the next day, you come and ask me, hey, Pastor Brian, can I also have Will's hunting rifle? And Anna's iPad? And can, you, can I have Jacob's baseball glove as well? I would look at you and say, I just gave you them. I've given you the most extravagant gift. Of course, anything you need, he has given you his son and he will give you all that is needed for your life. I'll tell you this, we are so weak in faith. There are some of you right now that you are so discontent in your life. Why did God do this? Why did God do this? You think this, oh yeah, he paid for my meal, but he's not going to pay for my drink and my dessert. Not going to do that. We sometimes do that because we have limited resources and limited wisdom. He doesn't. Question I have for you right now, is there something that you think right now that God hasn't provided for you? And you're upset with him. You're a little angry with him. Fill in the blank. This is what I need. Maybe it's this. I need my wife's respect. Or I need my husband's love. I need my children's affirmation. I need this, I need this, and I need this. You fill in your blank. Maybe you're bitter right now because God has been denying you what you think you deserve. Maybe God took your spouse and you're begrudging the 10 years that you didn't have with them. Maybe he didn't answer that prayer that you prayed time and time again over the years. Maybe you're begrudging him of your health. Why did he give me this disease? Why did he give this to me and that to me? Why does he not give me healing about this? Why do I have these financial issues? Why do I have this debt and this debt and this debt? Why didn't he give me the looks like that girl? Or why didn't he give me the brains of that boy? And if you're right here today wondering if he has really provided for you, look at what he gave you. He gave you his son. He gave you his son. Shall he not freely give you all things? Everything that you need right now, he's already given it to you. 
in everything that's coming up and everything that's going there, that just shows you your sinful self. And say, God, you are more than enough. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing that I desire more than you. My heart and my flesh may fail, but you are the strength of my life and my portion forever. That's his character. He can be trusted. He knows just what you need and we will supply it at just the right time. He has all knowledge. He has all wisdom. Yes, we are to ask. Call unto him and he will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things. If you lack wisdom, let him ask of God which giveth to all men liberally and abradeth not. But when he doesn't give and when he doesn't answer and you begin to question, does he really love me? Does he really care? Does he really give me all things? Then go back to this. He who did not spare his only son, but gave him up for you, shall he not freely give you all things? Philippians 4.19, and my God shall supply all every need of yours according to his riches in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 9.8 says this, and God is able to make all grace abound toward you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound unto every good work. Let me tell you, you get this when you got saved. When you became a believer in Christ, you have all things. This promise is one, let me say, you can take to heaven and you will never down it. It'll Between this point in your life till the day you go home, there are going to be a lot of trials that all of you are going to face. But let me tell you, this verse will help you through every one of them. He who did not spare his only son, but he gave him up for you, how shall he not freely give you all things? Child of God, the ultimate giver has taken care of you. That's what we learned today. Are you a child of God? You'd say, Pastor Brian, do I just get born a child of God? No, you have to be born twice. And the second birth has to be a birth of the Spirit. God has to move in your life and show you the glory of Jesus Christ. And you have got to believe in him and make him your master, your treasure. You have to repent of your sins and turn to him. And when you do that, the Bible says you are born again. If you are a child of God, you got your security covered and you have all your needs and it's backed by the most extravagant gift that has ever been given. And what should be your response? Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Christ the Lord. You have it all. He who did not spare his only son, but gave him up for you, how shall he not freely give you all things? Thank you for listening to Treasuring Scripture. It's our desire that every Christian treasure God's Word in their heart. To follow our podcast, please hit the subscribe button. 
If you're interested in learning more about our church, please visit LebanonBaptist.org.